You may not have noticed it. Kind of just came and went. You may not have realized that we didn't really even acknowledge it. It went by without much fanfare, but two weeks ago marked our second anniversary of our time in this building. And uh, next month, on June 24th, we will mark the third anniversary of the groundbreaking for this building, a time when many of us, many of you who are here, we stood in this spot, kind of where you're sitting right now, and we tried to imagine what a new building would be like. We tried to imagine what that was going to be like. What We tried to imagine something we had never seen before. Now, way back then, all we had was a set of blueprints, and not very many of us really knew how to read them. Uh, and I remember several times talking with somebody who had a copy, and they would ask questions, and I would have to turn them upside down and say, well, you're looking at it wrong. It goes like this. And several times people would say, well, what's this room here? And I'd say, well, that's a bathroom. And they'd say, well, are you sure? I'd say, well, it better be. You know, it's where it needs to be right there. You know, so we, we weren't really sure what we were going to get. But, but from those blueprints, from those instructions, and using materials selected, the builders constructed this building. It's constructed a place for us to worship, a place for us to gather, grow, and serve, a place for us to, to meet together. Can you imagine what would have happened if the builders got done and they said, you know, uh, we found out that we had the wrong blueprints and we accidentally built you a hospital. We, we didn't know at the time we accidentally built you a hospital. You have to fire your preacher and, and hire doctors now. You know, it, can you imagine what would have happened if the builders had come to us afterwards and said, you know, the, these were nice, but we made a few changes, and actually it, it's not a church now, it, it's a country club. And it's, it's very exclusive. You're probably not going to get in. You know, you're, you're not going to be able to be a member. You know, the, the nice thing about following the plan before you, even if you can't in your head picture what it will be, the nice thing about following the plan before you is you know exactly what you will get. You may not be able to imagine it, you may not be able to picture it in your head, but you know if you follow this, you will get this. I, th I think we all realize that a church is not just brick and mortar, it's not just paint and pews, it's about lives, it's about hearts, it's about people who are committed to Christ. And so when Peter launches into 1 Peter chapter 2, he calls us to look at what it is that we are building in our lives. Through the attitudes that we have today, through the desires that we have today, through the things that we focus on now, those are our blueprints. Our attitudes, our desires, the things that we focus on, those are the blueprints for what we are building. And if we continue to build with those blueprints, the blueprints of our attitudes and desires, what will be the result? What will we build? So Peter lays out the blueprints for what a church is, and he begins with the materials that are available. In other words, he begins with you and me. And he calls us, as the building materials for the church, he calls us to stand together and to recognize God's worth and God's presence in each other. I want to begin there in the first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're using those Bibles we provide for you, it's page 1014. 
Peter starts off there and he says, So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And the beauty of this passage is I really don't think I have to define for you what malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander are, right? You guys, you guys familiar with those terms? You, you've seen them before? You, you know how that works, right? Okay, good. I, I don't think I have to define those for you. You, you should be very aware of, of what those are. But the issue for us is verse 2. Like newborn infants long for or crave for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. What is it you're craving? What is it that you're longing for? What, what feeds the hunger that you have? Is it, is it slander? Some people feed on slander. Some people feed on hypocrisy. Some people feed on malice and deceit. Some people feed themselves on those things, on, on envy. Or is it something pure, something that will enable you to grow up in your salvation? Last weekend, I was in Maryland, and uh, Friday night, uh, we got taken out to dinner uh, by the company that, that we do some volunteer work for. Once a year, they, you know, we volunteer our time, and once a year, we get paid in a meal. I, for one, want to make sure it counts. So, being Maryland, obviously, they took us out for seafood, and, and everybody said, well, if you're in Maryland, you have to eat the soft shell crab. You got to get soft shell crab. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I, I don't like the looks of it. I'm not really up on that. So I mean, you eat the shell, you eat everything. And so I ordered, I ordered the lobster instead. I got the lobster plate. So I ordered the lobster. I know how to work a lobster. I know what lobster does. I know how to crack it open. I know how to do it all. So I ordered the lobster and I had all the fixing all the things. There's clams and there's mussels and there's all kinds of things on there. So I am tackling my lobster plate and I got done and I was stuffed. I mean, I, I was full. After dinner, a group of us got together at our friend Brad's hotel and Brad had brought dessert. Now in Maryland, they have an official state dessert. Now, you had to try it, right? You're in Maryland. You got it. You know, in Maryland, do as the Marylanders do. So we ate the official dessert of Maryland. The official dessert of Maryland is called a Smith Island cake. Has anyone ever had a Smith Island cake? Has anyone ever been out there? No? Okay. There's this little island off the coast of Maryland. All they do there is make cake. That's it. They make Smith Island cakes. They make them on the island, and then I don't know how FedEx trucks get there, but then they ship them out all over the world. The Maryland state dessert, the official dessert, is the Smith Island cake. It is a 10-layer cake. So they, they cut it very carefully. They use dental floss to cut the cake. And, and we each got a, a slice of Smith Island cake. I made the mistake of reading the label for the calorie content. Now keep in mind, I had already filled myself up with lobster. I mean, I'd eaten this giant bug on my plate, right? And, and I had eaten all the other stuff. And we had had other meals that day too. 
And then I eat the Smith Island cake. And I went to bed that night, and I was laying in my bed, and, and all I could think as I laid there and kind of did the math in my head, all I could think is, I'm going to die. I'm gonna, they're going to come in the next day, and they're going to find this dead guy, and they're going to come, and they're like, what happened? He's like, well, he's from Illinois, and he tried to eat a cake. You know, it's, but, but I craved that cake. It didn't matter that it was bad for me. I mean, look at that thing. I craved that cake. When I saw the cake, I, I craved it. I mean, but there's nothing in that cake that can nourish me. There's nothing in that cake that can sustain my life. That cake was bad for me. And the reality is, sometimes we crave things that are very bad for us, like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And a few weeks ago, I preached about gossip. Sometimes we crave those things that are bad for us. And we have seen up close the destruction, the unhealthiness of those who crave malice, deceit, and slander. And the reality is, I can't stand here today and hide my craving for Smith Island cake from you. Yeah, it's pretty obvious that I ate some things that I shouldn't have eaten every time I step on the scale. I don't even step on the scales anymore. You know, I, it's pretty obvious I ate some things that weren't good for me. If you think you can hide hypocrisy, do you think you can hide slander? Do you think you can hide envy? Do you think you can hide those things by, by dressing in layers or wearing stripes, you know, because they're slimming, you know, or, or wearing baggy clothes? You can't, you know, you can't. Those things are, are very obvious. You can't grow if you're graving the wrong things. You can't build a church on malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Every one of those longings, every one of those cravings is a sin against someone else. You see that? Every one of those is a sin against someone else, against someone else in the body of Christ. They are sins that deny the presence of God in the lives of other people. They are sins that deny God values that person. They are sins that deny that God loves that person. The key is in our cravings. What are we longing for? And Peter calls us to long for pure spiritual milk. What, what causes us to crave that? What would cause us to crave this pure spiritual milk? And what is this pure spiritual milk? If you look down in verse 3, he says, let me back up to verse 2 again just to give you the context. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We crave it because we first tasted it from the Lord. For God so loved you. God so loved you that he didn't think with malice toward you, did he? For God so loved you that he deceived you? No. For God so loved you that he slandered you? No. That's not what we learned. That's not what we received from him. That's not what we were nurtured on. That's not what we continue to nurture ourselves on. He forgave you. He restored you. He loved you. That's the pure spiritual milk that he gave us. He gave his best for you. If you tasted his goodness 
in what he offered you, then you offer that to someone else. Every person here is, is worthy of God's love. That means that they are worthy of our love, that they are worthy of our respect, and so we have to stand together. We can't let our, our lies and we can't let the sin that keeps us apart, hold, can't let that keep us apart, because when we stand together, then we can be built together. When we stand together, we can be built together into a church that truly honors God. Continuing on in verses 4 through 8. Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a royal, a royal priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builder rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There was an old Jewish, Jewish legend. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us that this is a true story, but there is this old Jewish legend about the building of Solomon's temple. Now, at, at the temple site, the temple mount itself, there was to be no sound other than the sound of worship. And so all of the construction had to take place somewhere else. There could not be the sound of hammers falling at the temple site. All that was to be heard at the temple was the sound of worship. So the stones for the temple had to be cut several miles away at the quarry. And then from there, they were taken to the building site. The very first stone that was delivered didn't fit. Didn't fit anywhere. The, the, the workmen there, as they're assembling the temple, they, they couldn't figure out what to do with this stone, so they figured it was a mistake. They just made the assumption that this first stone that was delivered was a mistake, and so they rejected it. And by rejecting it, they took it over to the side, to a hillside, and they dumped it down the hillside. It tumbled down in the weeds, and there it remained. They continued to assemble the temple. When they got done, they called the quarry, on their phones, I guess, I don't know. They called the quarry, and they said, bring us the capstone, the, the, the cap of the corner, the, the final stone, the stone that will hold it all together, the stone that completes it. And the people at the quarry said, we already sent it. <laughs> In fact, it was the first stone that we sent. And so the Jewish legend goes that the stone the builders rejected was, in fact, the most important stone of all. They had rejected it. They had tossed it down into the, into the ditch. So Peter builds on that legend, and he proclaims Jesus as the, as the capstone, as the stone that holds the temple together. More than that, he is the cornerstone upon which our lives are founded, our lives as individuals, our lives as a group, Without Jesus as our cornerstone and our capstone, you and I are just a bunch of rocks. You know, we're, we're just a bunch of rocks all gathered together, nothing to hold us together until we put Jesus in the proper place. By his presence, we are able to honor God. Verse 5 says, 
that by his presence we are a spiritual house offering spiritual sacrifices. In the old temple system, they offered physical sacrifices at the temple. They offered bulls and goats and sheep and doves and grain and those physical sacrifices. But they also offered spiritual sacrifices of prayer, sacrifice of praise, worship, repentance, thanksgiving, spiritual sacrifices. It's become very common these days for people to say, I don't need to go to church. It's become very common these days for people to say, I don't need the church. I can worship God on my own. I can worship God on my own time, in my own place. I can go out in the woods and worship God just as good as I can in any building, if not better, right? You've heard the people say that before? I can, I, I can worship God in my own home with my own little group. And there are a growing number of people in society today who identify themselves as Christians, who, who love Scripture, who are spiritual people, who love Jesus. They identify themselves as Christians, but they have never set foot inside a church. I want to be clear about this. Peter says that is impossible. Peter says we need each other. Peter says in verse 5, we can't truly make those spiritual sacrifices of prayer, thanksgiving, praise, and repentance without the presence and support of other believers being built together in a spiritual house. There's a lot of people who would argue with me about that. A lot of people out there would argue. Maybe a few people in here who would argue with me about that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and tell me you don't need me. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and tell me I don't need you, that we don't need each other. It's right there. Peter says it's impossible. Now I know the other side of that. The other side of that is back in verse 1. People who all their lives, all they've heard is malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And, and they've heard it from Christians. They've heard it from people in churches. They've, they've heard it from churches. That's a, that's a sad reality. Maybe, maybe if people knew that we valued them as much as God, that we value them as much as God values them, they would want to be a part of what we're doing. Maybe if we showed them through our love, through our acceptance, through our forgiveness, that God accepts them also. If we stand together in God's goodness, if we are built together to honor him, then this, this building, this spiritual building that we call a church, is able to do what we are placed here to do. We are able not only to stand together and be built together, we are able to proclaim together, proclaim the mercy of God. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, says, but you, but you, and, and I want you to hear that, hear that right there. There's, this is a big but, verse 9, okay? Pay attention to it. What? Did I say something? Anyway, it is, it's, it's a huge one. You know, look at that in verse 9, but you, there is a difference in you. There should be a difference in you. You need to be different from the people around you. You need to be different from the people who belong to this world. You need to be different from the people who are disobedient, people who are living their lives with malice and deceit and envy and hypocrisy and slander. You need to be different. You have a different purpose. You have a different calling. You have a different foundation. So he says in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you hear that? Do you hear yourself in that? Do you hear each other in that? I want you to do something for me right now. I want you to look there at verse 9, and I want you to tell me, who, does, who are you based on verse 9? Who are you? Oh, come on. You can do better. This is going to be on tape. It's going to be on the Internet. You want everybody to hear you. We are a chosen race. Who are you? We are a royal priesthood. Who are you? We are a holy nation. Who are you? We are a people of God's own possession. Hear that. There is dignity in that. There is purpose in that. There is God's very presence in your life in that. Now, to the people that Peter wrote to, they were, they were exiles. They didn't have homes. They didn't have a country. They didn't have a place to belong. To the exiles that Peter wrote to, these words had deep meaning that finally somebody claimed them. They weren't just thrown away. They weren't just outcasts. Someone had claimed them, and that someone was God. And to the people around us who are lost, who are without direction, this can mean so much to them. God has chosen you. That shows God's loving initiative in your life. He picked you. A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood because we belong to the King of Kings. A royal priesthood because we belong to the great high priest. We share his purpose. A holy nation set apart for God's use. A people of his own possession. I love that. A people of his own possession. Paul uses the same phrase in Titus when he's, when he's describing Jesus to Titus and, and, and his audience. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says of Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, un, all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. For Peter, for his audience, that idea of being zealous for good works translates into proclaiming the excellencies of God. I love that idea, proclaiming the excellencies of God. They are excellent. You will never find more excellent excellencies than God's. They are, they are the top. They are the cream of the crop. They are the best. You will never find anything better than what God has to offer you. The excellence of his love, the excellence of his forgiveness, you will never find a purer love in your life. You will never find a more complete and whole forgiveness in your life. The excellencies of his grace. His grace is, what, amazing, right? Yeah, his amazing grace. The excellencies of his peace. His peace that passes all understanding. And the excellencies of his mercy. And it's not just that we proclaim these things with our voices, with our songs. We proclaim them with our very lives. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have people around us who are in desperate need 
of God's mercy. People around us who, in their lives, all they have ever heard is malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, and slander. People in our lives who were brought up with those things, brought up in homes and in relationships that were nothing but malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Other people fed off of them with that. And they've learned to feed off of us, to feed off of other people with those things. That's all they've ever known. They've never known mercy. They've never known anything that could sustain them and enable them to grow. And if they see and hear the same things from Christians, if they see and hear the same thing from the church, they're never going to want us. They're never going to need us. And they're never going to hear God's mercy. And so the call here is for us to crave the things that God craves. The call here is for us to crave the things that, that God craves, to feed on them, to find our sustenance in the very thing that God desires, mercy. He desires mercy above all else. There's that beautiful little verse in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, out of this entire Bible where people are just trying to figure out what does God want, you know, and they're making sacrifices and they're doing this and they're doing that. In Micah, God just reveals to himself and he says, he has shown you. He's shown you what he wants through what he provided to you. He has shown you, O oh man, what the Lord wants from you because he has given you the very thing that he wants you to do. You have tasted that he is good. He has shown you what is good and what the Lord desires of you to love, to do justice, to do justice for one another. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Those five things in verse 1, you can't do those and these three at the same time. They don't work together. They don't fit together. You can't sustain yourself on what you saw in verse 1. But to do justice, love mercy, Walk humbly. That's better than Smith Island cake. That's good stuff. That will sustain you. Let the the desire, let that desire shape the way we stand together, the, the way we are built together. Let that desire for mercy change what we proclaim together. What would truly happen in our church if we craved what God craves? What would happen to our community? What would happen? the lives of our young people and our older folks if we craved what God craves. We come to the table because God craved us. We come to the table every week because God craved us, and he craved us to the point that he would give everything he had for us. He craved us so much, he longed for us, he desired us so much that he poured out his mercy on the cross through his son. So we, we take this together today, not just to proclaim his mercy on us, but to proclaim his mercy for our community, to proclaim his mercy for the people around us, that our world might know his mercy, not only through the way he loves them, but through the way we love them, through the way we show his mercy. We're going to sing a song. It's called Mercy, by the way. And it's a little new to you. We're going to use a video for this. I want you to hear the words, and so some of the words are up on the screen, some of them aren't, sing along with the ones that are, but I want you to hear the words, I want you to hear what's being proclaimed in this song, 
And I want you to realize that this isn't about you and me. This is first and foremost about God's mercy towards us. This is about what He offered us first and then what we offer to one another. Can you stand as we sing this?